Welcome to today's podcast from Coastline Calvary Chapel in Gulf Breeze, Florida. We hope this message encourages you and brings light into your life. And as we are in the eighth chapter of Romans, there is so much to consider. I mean, throughout the book so far, the author Paul, he's been building on these massive, massive themes in Scripture. The sovereignty of God, something you see in the first couple of chapters, which is kind of like a church word to mean, hey, God's in control. The judgment of God, the righteousness of God, humanity's state of sin and the separation that that brings. These are things that throughout the entirety of the book that Paul has been building upon. And now in Romans 8, he kind of gathers together these various strands of thought and begins to link this massive doctrine known as justification, meaning being declared right in God's sight, with another term that Pastor Joe mentioned this morning, sanctification. This process of God making us who he desires us to be. And there's so much packed just in this eighth chapter. So if you wanted to consider the highlights, like what about this chapter are the big notable things to hang your hat on? Here's what I'd say about that. In verses one through eight, we see that Paul is showing us that we have a new position with God. And Pastor John did a wonderful job last Sunday unpacking that truth, specifically verse one, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See if we get the same response as we did first service. Yeah, no response to that truth. Let me say this again. There's no condemnation for you if you're in Christ Jesus. Yeah, you're in the South, you can say amen, we can interact, that's okay. This is a great, grand new position. Remember how we're traversing through Romans. God, this one who's the creator of all things. God, who has every right to judge sin righteously and in judgment. Here's the deal. You've got a new position with him. There's no condemnation. And we didn't unpack this last Sunday, but man, such a beautiful truth. As you read verse one where it says, for those who walk according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. You know, that's not a qualifying element to not having condemnation. What do you mean? It's a descriptive element. It's just very simply laying out the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. And for a believer, there's no condemnation. It's a new position. And then the second thing, we'll unpack a little bit of this this morning. Not only is there a new position, but there's a new relationship. What do you mean? Well, there's this partnership now between you and I with God through his Holy Spirit. There's this new relationship of adoption that we have with the Father. Well, third, there's this new hope, a new hope in verses 18 through 25 that involves what God is doing in our lives as believers and his plans for all of creation. And this morning, we'll consider that new relationship and that new hope, and then next Sunday, we'll look at part three of Romans chapter eight and consider this next highlight that we have a new helper. A new helper, what do you mean? You know, sometimes I don't even know what I need to know. Sometimes I don't even know what I should say. Sometimes before the Lord, I need him to represent me before him. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, as you look at Romans 
chapter 8, verses 26, which we'll dive into next week, God's word tells us that we have the Holy Spirit who stands in the gap for us, who makes intercession for us. And then he goes on to build this beautiful truth in Romans 8, 28, that we have a brand new confidence. Confidence, what do you mean? Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, we know that some things kind of work out for your life to be okay. No, it says we know that all things are working together for good. This produces within us a confidence in our God. And finally, if you wanted to consider again, just the highlights, the last portion of Romans 8, starting in verses 29 through 39, man, he describes this new future and this new destiny that we have. That there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. That we're headed to a place where all things that have to do with sin will be done away with. For me, this is a great highlight reel. Better than anything you're going to see this afternoon on the screen. That we have a position, a relationship, a hope, a helper, a confidence, a future, and a destiny. And so this morning, we'll just consider verses 12 through 25. Talk a little bit about this relationship that we have. One, with the Holy Spirit, that it's a partnership. Two, with the Father, that it's an adoptive relationship. And then three, that we have a new hope. A new hope that involves what God is doing in our lives presently and what he's doing in creation and what's to come. Now, here's the deal. Let me have your attention, let me see your eyes. If you wanted to take one word and put it as a heading over this section of scripture, here's the word, sanctification. Now, when you hear that word, you go, okay, church word, don't really understand it, it's not trendy, it's not cool, it's not gonna get a hashtag trending or anything like that, I don't even understand it. Here's essentially what it means. The process by which God brings you to be the person God created you to be. This is what sanctification is in the life of a believer. You say, well, what is it? It's life. It's what you're experiencing at the moment. It's God being involved in your life to develop you, to form you, to fashion you, to recreate you into who he desires you to be. You say, okay, I kind of get that. Let me put it another way. Have you ever wondered, God, what are you doing? What is happening? <laughs> what about all this stuff in my life that doesn't seem to align with the way I thought things were gonna go? Or, or even in the world, as I look around, it's just so messed up. There's so many things that, that just don't make sense, that just seem tragic. What about that, God? Well, it's the process. The process by which God is creating you to be who he wants you to be. See, there's three things that we'll consider this morning about this process, about this sanctification. Please don't miss this, that if you're unaware of these, if you forget them, if you lose sight of them, you will get discouraged. Isn't that a great message for Sunday morning on a beautiful day like this? But here's the deal. If you know these things, if you're reminded of these truths, they help you to love this process and to step back and allow God to do what only he can do. And here they are, foundation. 
In verses 12 through 14 this morning, we're going to consider what's foundational to what God's doing in your life. Something that you can't forget, that it's a fundamental, that it's got to stay consistent. No matter if you just stepped into a relationship with Jesus 15 seconds ago, or even if you're like Pastor John and you've pastored this church for 40 years, this element is still a vibrant part of your life. The foundation. Secondarily, we'll consider this new relationship we have of adoption. It's in verses 15 and 17. And then lastly, the motivation. You'll see Paul explain that, this hope that we have in verses 18 through 25. Father, I just ask in, in simplicity and humility, God, that you would give me the ability, Lord, just to serve your people well. Lord, just to explain your word and allow you to do what only you can do, to change hearts, to change minds. And Lord, I would ask this morning that you would do something in the lives of the people that are in this room, the people that are watching us online or perhaps even listening at a later time. God, that this just wouldn't be taking in a sermon, learning more about the Bible, but Lord, that these truths would translate into real living according to your word. God, I pray that this word would go onto good soil this morning. Lord, I want to be able to do my part. Please give me the grace to be able to speak, to share, to communicate. But Lord, I can't change hearts. I can't see people actually engage in a vibrant, obedient lifestyle with you. God, would you do that with your people that are here this morning? Help us to lean into you. Help us to trust you. Help us to obey you. Help us to know you. Help us to love you. Help us to follow hard after you. Lord, bless this time. God, I ask by your spirit, please anoint this time so that as we hear your word, it's coupled with obedience and faith. Lord, thank you that we can pray these things in a name that actually matters and a name that's capable to accomplish everything we've just asked. It's in the precious and powerful and resurrected name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I pray. Amen. Verses 12 through 14, we'll consider this first portion of the scripture this morning. And remember, this has everything to do with the foundation. Verse 12, reading from the New King James says this. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. For as many are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. Now, in the first 11 verses of this chapter, Paul talks about the reality that we have the Holy Spirit. Now he's saying, listen, it doesn't end there. It's not just about that you have the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have you? Uh, are you allowing the Spirit of God to work in and through your life as you partner with him? See, if you live according to the flesh, he says there's death. But by the Spirit, if you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Live for the flesh, there's death. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you'll live. Now, if you grew up in the 90s, maybe you had little kids in the 90s or anything like that, it was the most classic time to, to watch movies or anything like that, in my opinion. You may remember the trilogy of the Mighty Ducks. 
and this lovable, fun character known as Goldberg. Anyone remember that at all? Okay, 10 of us. Okay, the rest of you, what the heck's wrong with you? But anyway, Goldberg, wonderful, lovable character in the 90s, trilogy of the Mighty Ducks, fun, lovable character. Well, this actor for this character was in the news this week. And he's a reminder of a life lived according to the flesh, coupled with bad choices and substance abuse. Well, this picture came out of him this week in the news. And you can see this truth visually in the face of an individual that the flesh is just allowed to live supreme. The article went on to say that this actor was arrested for theft and for different issues with substance abuse. And as I thought about that, one, it's heartbreaking. But it also brings to visualization what the scriptures so often say. Now, I want to do something in this moment that I hope is still okay to do in a 21st century American church. I just want to read the Bible. There's a section in Ephesians and a section in Galatians that highlights this. I don't have a lot of comments about it. I don't, I don't have like cool bunny rabbit stories to help illustrate it or anything. I don't have visuals or smoke or lights or anything like that. But the Bible here that I want to read in Ephesians and Galatians, I want to read it from the New Living Translation because it's a thought-for-thought thought translation that really helps drive home the point. But it brings home this foundational truth. Are you okay if we just read a couple scriptures in the Bible for a moment? You're not going to like check out and this side you're okay? You guys don't know? How about this side? You're okay with just reading the Bible in church? Okay. Listen to Ephesians 5. I'm going to read verses 6 through 11 and then 15 through 20. Again, it's coming from the New Living. And then I'm going to read Galatians 6, 7 through 10 from the same translation. Listen to what he says. Please take this with so much more consideration than anything I have to say. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse their sin. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things that these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord, so live as people of the light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. So listen to what he says. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness, but instead expose them. In verse 15, he goes on to say, be careful how you live. Think about your life. Be careful how you live. Don't live like a fool, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that's going to ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts, and giving thanks for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on in Galatians to kind of share this same truth in Galatians 6, 7 through 10, where he says this, don't be misled. Why does he have to say that? Because it's very easy as a Christian to be misled with this next truth. Here it is. You cannot mock the justice of God. You always harvest what you plant. Those who live to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. 
At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever you have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those of the family of faith. So why are you reading this? What's Goldberg have to do with this? Here's what I'm saying. Justification, that act of God where he declares an individual to be right, just, complete, forgiven, no condemnation, is the work that only God can do. And then God begins to start to work in your life through a process known as sanctification to make you into the person he wants you to be. But please don't tune out. This is so important. You've got to partner with him in that. Say, what do you mean? Ephesians, Galatians, Romans, they're all saying the same thing. Here's the foundational truth. Don't miss this. Sowing, obeying, walking, trusting, living in and by the Spirit. A life of obedience that's evidenced by attitude, action, choices, and investments according to the truth of the Bible is how you partner with God in this work of sanctification. One author put it this way, it's not enough for us to have the Spirit the Spirit must also have us. Only then can we share with us the abundant, victorious life that can be ours in Christ. We have no obligation to the flesh because the flesh has only brought trouble into our lives. We do have an obligation to the Holy Spirit for it's the Spirit who convicted us, revealed Christ to us, imparted eternal life to us when we trusted Christ. Because he is the Spirit of life, he can empower us to obey Christ and enable us to be more like Christ. My dad has sown this truth into my life, my brother and my sister's life ever since I can remember and it's always this simple thing. Neil, God will always do his part but you have a part to play and God won't do your part for you. See, what do you mean by that? You and I have this opportunity with this thing called life to walk by the Spirit's power in obedience to Him. It's like Pastor John said a few weeks ago that you know your life verse really shouldn't be something like 1 John 1, 9. So what do you mean by that? That it's not just about getting a get out of hell card, right? L like being forgiven and then living out however you feel. I would dare say if that's your mentality and you feel like that, there's quite a bit of proof to that that you haven't really genuinely experienced the forgiveness of God. Because the forgiveness of God is not just transactional, it's transformational. It changes your life. Your heart begins to change. Your attitudes begin to change. Your actions begin to change. Your choices begin to change. Your investments begin to change. And if they don't, well you know how a doctor fixes disease, he doesn't just look at the symptoms, he looks at the source. It's not the attitude, it's not the action, it's not the choice, it's not the investment, it's the heart. The heart has not been changed. And here's the reality. God by his spirit makes us, by his son, changes us to a place where we're completely forgiven. And right now in your life, he's giving you an opportunity to walk with him, to know him, to be obedient to him to engage in the foundation of this beautiful thing called sanctification. And you may say, well, how do I do that? Let me share with you a phrase, the best no way I know how, to, how you do this, how you live the foundations. 
It's by being a disciple, a disciple. This is where it starts first and foremost. Someone who's not just got the get out of hell card, walk the aisle, whatever, but someone who's actually called to live and follow after Jesus. Being a disciple who's a part of a community, a part of a community, that's all a church is. You know, the, the original word for church in the New Testament is this term ecclesia. Has nothing to do with an, a religious or an irreligious group. It just has to do with a group. You can have an ecclesia around a pigskin that gets from one line to the, to the other, and that's the ecclesia that's all about that pigskin. This ecclesia is all about the one that beat death. I would choose this one over that one personally, but this is a powerful community. But the biggest thing, the most preeminent thing about us is that we worship a risen savior. And so how do you engage in these fundamentals? How do you participate in this foundational thing? You're a part of a community that gathers to love God. Gathers to love God. That's what Sunday mornings at Coastline Gulf Breeze, Navarre, and Destin are all about. Simply a place where we gather together to worship God because he first loves us. We don't muster up emotion. We don't try and create an environment that facilitates that. We learn, man, we respond to the truth where it's simply this. God so loved the world. He gave his one and only begotten son. And we love him because he first loved us. So when we gather together to sit under the teaching of, word, of the word, to sing his praises, to fellowship, to pray, to give of our resources, to serve one another, Listen, these are the fundamentals that feed a healthy spiritual life. But not only that, but also in connected community. We are actually known by others. You know, in the New Testament, there's 59 times, 59 times where the writer will talk about how we're supposed to interact, care for, love, forgive, and live life together with one another. Connect together. But then also, thirdly, and you can't miss this, to live on mission. Man, you live in a world, I live in a world where everything is about the consumer. And it's so easy for that mindset to creep into our spirituality. Just consume, consume this Bible study, this group, this me, 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 me. It's the way of death for a believer, I believe. You're meant to live as a missionary right where you are. That's why it says in your world, in your world, where's God placed you? Man, love him. Gather with the people that do. Where's he placed you? Connect. Where's he placed you? Live as a person who is on a mission to share and show Jesus right where you are. This is how you engage in that life by the Spirit. See, this is so true of everything in life. You say, what do you mean? There's always the fundamentals, always the foundations, always the 101 of any discipline. Sports, it's an easy one to reference. Basketball, it's got certain things you gotta get down in order to play that game, and you don't ever stop doing them. Say, well, I've already learned how to dribble, so now I'm just gonna take the ball down the court. Well, you're not gonna win. You're not gonna even be able to play. You gotta keep mastering that dribble technique. Basketball, baseball, soccer, tennis. Think about whatever sport is like, oh, that, you know, oh, there's these basic things you gotta do, you gotta know in order to really enjoy that game. Nutrition is the same way. Every single discipline in life. And here's the deal. When you work the process, you love the process. And this is the foundational truth. God is creating you to be who he wants you to be. And you don't want to be saved and just shelved. You want to experience life. That's why God has saved us. 
where it talks about there in Ephesians and Galatians about this eternal life. He's not just talking about a life that begins the day you take your last breath, a quantity of time. Well, eternal life is not just a quantity of time, but it's the quality of the time that you have on this side of eternity. A life that's full of the things that matter. Joy, peace, goodness, kindness, mercy, self-control. No matter how much you educate yourself, no how many experiences you have, no matter how much resource you have, you can't gain those things apart from the Spirit of God. And through this process of walking with Him, obeying Him, trusting Him, allowing your attitudes, choices, actions, and investments to align with the Word of God, you begin to experience this beautiful partnership with God called sanctification. But it is. My dad puts it better than I can. God has his part and you've got your part. Man, he's done his part. He's gonna continue to do his part in and through you. But you've gotta be a willing, open vessel. That's the foundational truth. That's something you don't graduate in. So let me just ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to answer me. This is rhetorical, so don't say something and embarrass yourself or me, but can I just ask in humility, are you in that place where you're still on your toes, invested in your walk with the Lord, or are you on your heels? Where you've kind of become more of a consumer, maybe more of a critic, more of someone who's riding the pine pony, right? The bench. And God's heart for you is for you to become who God wants you to be. And the way to do that, the foundation for that, you can't graduate from this, is being on your toes, living for the Lord, investing in his kingdom, following after him, obeying him, repenting of sin, taking your resources and investing them in things of eternity, not just things that are gonna pass away. And that's where that process of God working in your life to change you into who he wants you to be, oh, you don't ever graduate from that. Now, the second thing that Paul begins to talk about is adoption. Now, this has kind of been a one-way conversation, so if you're still with me, would you let me know by saying, Jesus is Lord? Okay, good. Romans 8, verse 15. Let's look at what the scripture says here about the adoptive process that God's brought us into. He says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. We're children of God. And if children, then heirs heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together a new relationship this is what Paul begins to talk about this whole new relationship with God as our father now perhaps you're familiar with that that Bible that paraphrase version the message it's it's not a translation but this paraphrase it really does bring into full language what Paul is saying here let me read this same verse 15 and 16 from that message it says this the resurrection life you receive from God it's not a timid grave tending life it's adventurously expectant greeting God with a childlike what's next Papa God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children. See, this is amazing. Don't allow this powerful truth to be lost on you because of familiarity. You say, what do you mean? 
Romans 1 and 2. It's talking about God as the creator, the righteous judge who, who can delve out judgment as he sees fit. And now, in Christ, he becomes dad. And you have full access to this kind of relationship. You say, what do you mean? Listen to what one author says. He says, the word adoption in the New Testament means being placed as an adult son. We come into God's family by birth, but the instant we're born into the family, God adopts us and gives us the position of an adult son. See, a baby can't walk, speak, make decisions, or draw on the family wealth. But I would say indirectly, they, they, they do that all the time. But the believer can do all these the instant he's born again. You know what that means? There's no graduating in the Christian life. Like, well, until you really understand all the intricacies of the priesthood of Hebrews, you can't experience the fullness of God in your life. What? No, I just got saved 15 seconds ago. I'm in the same standing as anyone else in Christ. Like God can work in my life because of the faith that I have simply in him. See, here's the deal. Let me illustrate it this way. I've got five kids from the age of 11 to one. And this week, I was doing something in, in our living room, reading a book or cleaning up something or whatever it is I was doing. And my daughter Lucy, little Lucy Lynn Bailey, came to me. She's eight years old. And she just got this toy. I'd highly recommend that you don't get this toy for your child. It's called a Tamagotchi. It like takes over their life. If you don't know what it is, blessings upon you. But anyway, she has a Tamagotchi and it just eats through batteries. And so she's like, Dad, I need batteries. I said, okay, sweetie. Go into the kitchen, that first drawer on the left near the door of the garage. They're right there in the drawer. Just open it up, pull it out, and I'll help you put it into the, uh, to the toy. And my little boy, Liam, who's half the age of Lucy, he's four. He was kind of standing in the back listening to what I was saying. And then as Lucy kind of heard where I said the batteries were, she makes her way off. And I saw Liam kind of follow her away, off towards the batteries. And he said this, and just like the sweetest voice, he said, Lucy, our dad knows everything. And it was just this like sweet, tender, childlike, simplistic trust of like, oh, dad, he, he just, whatever, he's there. Like anything we need, we, we've got a good dad. I'm hoping and praying that kind of paradigm continues to happen throughout age 14 and on into his life. But where we are right now, if I know where the batteries are, man, I'm the best guy in the world, right? Why do I say that? We have a good father, a good father. There's a song that even said, you know, I'm gonna put that in there again, like good, good father, right? Now here's the deal. I think you've gotta remember this as you're going through life. Remember the process we're going through? God, what the heck is this? Here's a bend in the road. You've gotta remember that you've been adopted into his family. And you may say, well, yeah, I'm adopted. He's the creator. He's the judge. He's all these things that Romans says. But you remember that story? Remember that story that Jesus told, giving great description of who the father is? It's the story of this kid who really wanted to live life however he felt was best to live life. And the father said, okay, take what I have. What's mine is yours. And Go. And when the son finally realized how bitter and how empty a life lived by your own lordship is, decided to come back to the father, Jesus tells this story that as the son started to come over the hill crest, the father saw him. And the father ran out to meet him. 
Now, yesterday was a double bridge run around here. We're very used to seeing dads run. In that culture, if you were a man of prominence or respect, you didn't run. We need to bring that back to this culture. Don't you think? No, I'm just teasing. But like you didn't run. That wasn't a thing you did. But here's what Jesus was showing. Here's what he's exemplifying. That father ran after his son to restore him. Didn't turn a cold shoulder. Didn't say, finally, you, you kind of wised up to the air of your ways with open arms. Open arms, he received back his son. Now again, at this point in our time together, I feel like I need to read a good portion of scripture to you to help remind you of the kind of father that we have. Again, it's gonna be lengthy. It's from Matthew chapter six. I'm gonna read from verse 24 all the way to verse 34. Okay, good, you're okay with that. New Living Translation, once again, to make it like just easy and buttery and just good to go, but let me read this. Please don't miss this. This shares with us the kind of father we have. Jesus is speaking and he says this, no one can serve two masters. For you either hate one or love the other, you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And here's what he says, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink, enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant and harvest. They don't store food in their barns. But your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more value than they? Can all of your worrying add a single moment to your life? And then he goes on to say this. Why do you worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, they're here today and gone tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith, he said. Now catch this, it's almost, we're almost done with this reading, but he says, don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. So you know what you should do? Just go to the beach. Just, just don't do anything. No, this is extremely important. Don't miss this next point. God knows everything you need. He's got everything taken care of. Oh, so I guess we can just gotta go back on our heels. Look at verse 33. So seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously. He'll give you everything you need. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Here's what you need to understand in this process of sanctification. Life is hard. Things don't always go the, wish, the way you wish they would. There's challenges there's sorrow, there's grief, there's loss, there's problems, there's pain. And you're gonna get down. You're gonna get depressed. You're gonna become stressed. You're gonna be someone who's frizzled, frazzled, frustrated, and worried. Whatever synonym I can share to say you're just not doing well. If you don't remember these things, that in this sanctification process, the foundation of it is, I'm still leaning into him. I'm still giving myself to him. I had an opportunity to be discipled by one of the guys who was sent out by Pastor Chuck Smith who started the Calvary Movement many years ago. And he said, Neil, 
always sit on the front row. What? What do you mean by that? He was making a point like in a service where he said, I want you to be leaning in all of your life. He says, here's what happens. As someone begins to walk with the Lord, they begin to cool and to begin to distance themselves and feel like, man, I leaned in, I leaned in, but I still need to keep doing that. Always sit on the front row. Always be someone who's engaged, pressing in, moving forward, excited for what the Lord wants to do. Position your heart in such a way because that's where God works, that's where God moves. He begins to direct a car that's already moving and he won't move a car that's parked, waiting for him to do something. This is foundational. Keep loving, keep serving, keep giving, keep living by the Spirit. But secondarily, recognize this. You've got a good father. And everything that's happening in your life, we'll get this to next, uh, next Sunday as we look at part three of Romans 8. And he's working it together for good. Trust him. Like what Jesus said about this heavenly father, he already knows everything you need. You've been adopted into his family and you're not on a waiting list to be able to enjoy all that he has. You're brought in. By faith, enjoy him. Now, thirdly and lastly, We've considered foundation, we've considered adoption, but we'll look at motivation. And you may say, man, this is trouble. Like, as I consider these verses, you still got a lot more to go and not as much time. Well, what I have to say about this final portion of scripture is much less than what Paul has to say. So we're almost done. But as I'm about to read verses 18 through 25, here's what I would say is that final motivation. It's this that there will one day be a full and final redemption of all things. Look at what Paul says, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but also all who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in hope, but hope that is not seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. You may say, what? What is he saying? Paul is showing these believers in Rome that they have a new hope. A hope. Not this thing like I hope this guy wraps this up in time, but hope like a confident assurance. It's going to happen. There will be a redemption of all things. And as you consider this text, he talks about two things here. Number one, the hope for the Christian, and then secondarily, the hope for creation. The hope for the Christian is this. There is present grief. Look at verse 18 and 23. Believers are yearning, desiring, groaning to be released from present sufferings. We're all in that place, but listen. Verses 18 and 24, he gives this comparison. Today's grief is nothing compared with tomorrow's glory. And he gives this command, wait until then patiently. One author put it this way, the best is yet to come. 
The believer does not get frustrated as he sees and experiences suffering and pain in the world. He knows that the temporary suffering will one day give to eternal glory. There's this hope for the Christian. Listen, there will be a full and final restoration and redemption. It's coming. But he also gives illustration just through the natural world. If you look at verses 18 through 25, specifically verses 21 and 22, he says, listen, nature was a victor are a victim of sin and they will be a victor. In verse 21 he says, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. He's saying, listen, everything is gonna be restored. This is our hope. This is our motivation for this process of sanctification. This is not it. You've probably heard me share this illustration a thousand times. But if I were to take a big, fat rope and adhere it to this back brick wall, to that drywall at the end of our auditorium, make it nice and tight and make it all the way across this auditorium and take a little ballpoint pen and just prick that piece of rope and say, listen, this rope represents eternity. And the little bitty dot represents this thing that we call life and time. And in the dot, And there's going to be grief. There's going to be sorrow. There's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be loss. But there's also going to be God's spirit moving. There's also going to be his restoration. There's also going to be his healing. And one day, in all of eternity, there's going to be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more grief, no more cancer, no more death, no more taxes, no more long-winded preachers, right? We'll have Jesus right there. The comparison Today's grief is nothing compared to tomorrow's glory. One person put it this way. Whatever these sufferings may be, they belong to this present life, but the blessings to come stretch forever. And why is this so important? Well, let me illustrate it this way with something that happened this week. Perhaps you remember a song back from a decade and a half ago almost now called Meant to Live. Here's the title track's lyrics. We were meant to live for so much more. We want more than what this world's got to offer. We want more than this. These lyrics that gained a lot of traction in the early 2000s, they speak of a longing to understand life, the source of life, and this dynamic that when death hits, it just feels wrong. It feels foreign. It feels like this, this shouldn't happen. And, and I don't, it doesn't matter what sport you love the most. But like when we heard like a week ago or so of this guy's passing along with eight other individuals, so many people, Kobe Bryant, we can put the, the picture up. When we heard of this individual's passing, it doesn't matter if you're a fan of basketball if you care about all of his accolades with the 15 all-star game appearances, the championships, and the list could go on and on. But but as you saw a 41-year-old man who who was kind of stepping into the second act of his life and he has four daughters married for nearly 20 years and the, the girls are age 17, 13, three and seven months, there's just like this dynamic that like this shouldn't happen. Like we should live on. And here's the reality. The world that we live in is not as it was originally created. It's marred by sin. There is death and destruction and all those things that are the consequences of sin. But here's the deal. You and I will live on for eternity. 
in one place or another. This is not all there is. There is more to come. And when something like this happens, it hits many of us. We feel like, well, wait, we're meant for more. It's kind of what Paul is saying here in verses 22 and 23. The whole of creation groans and labors together with birth pangs. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. We ourselves groan, eagerly awaiting the adoption, the redemption of our body. He's saying there for believers who have already experienced the wonderful gift of forgiveness, it's like we got that first taste of heaven and we can't wait to get to glory. But when we see these things that happen in life without the hope of heaven, it can leave you despondent. It can leave you bewildered. And as tragic as the loss of life is at any stage of life, you and I need to be reminded of something. There is a hope. There is a heaven. Like, like Paul is saying here, the sufferings of this present time don't want to devalue them, don't want to brush over them, don't want to pretend like they're not there. But in comparison to what's coming, oh, we have so much to look forward to. The best is yet to come. And I don't know like where Kobe Bryant is. I, I've read one article this week that was so encouraging. It's like just about his dedication, about what was his routine that morning that he got on that copter. He said by 7 a.m. he was at church with his daughter and then by 9 a.m. he boarded the plane. You say, wow, talk about a guy that could have like gotten on his heels, so to speak, right? Like, nah, church, celebrity, whatever, but still invested in that in his life. The reason I share that with you is to highlight this simple truth. Listen, guys, let me have your attention. Let me see your eyes. You're headed to heaven if your faith is in Jesus. The suffering that's a part of this little dot called life is nothing to be compared with the glory that's coming. So you know what? Invest your time, talent, treasure, resources, investments in where they're going to last. And don't live for this little itty-bitty dot. It could be gone tomorrow. But like cast all your chips into that which is going to give you the best return. Eternity. Eternity. Like Jesus said there when he was talking about this heavenly father that we have, and don't worry, he says, but seek first the kingdom. Guys, go hard after him at whatever stage you are in your life. This is where that process of sanctification, oh man, there's joy in it. Is there difficulty? Is there hardship? Is there bewilderment? Yes. Are you gonna be able to figure out all that God's doing in your life? No. A God whom you could figure out is not a God who's big enough for you to worship. He's God. He transcends you. But you also got to know this. When things are going on, you're like, what is this? Why is this? Oh. Foundations. Man, keep leaning in, loving, living by the Spirit, putting to death those deeds of the flesh. That's the foundation. Recognize that you're adopted into his family as a son or daughter. He loves you. As we'll look at next week, he's really working all things together for good. And realize this motivation. And there's a hope. There's a heaven. All things are going to be restored. That's what it says there in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. For both the Christian and creation, God's going to make it right. So I can trust him. I can trust him. I can trust him. Worry is a thief that you are not obligated to entertain in your Christian home. Turn those worries into prayers. Trust God. 
and recognize that you're part of his family. Keep leaning into those foundations, those fundamentals as a believer. Man, and be constantly reminded of heaven. Constantly reminded of heaven. That one day there will be a place where there's no more pain, no more sorrow. For the best is yet to come. And as one author said, these sufferings, though they may be real, they only belong to this present life. But the blessings to come, they will stretch forever more. So church, keep your head up. Keep your head up. Focus on that which will last, the kingdom of God. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join us again as we dive into the scripture, going verse by verse here at Coastline Calvary Chapel.